Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 23. So let's start out by reading those verses. What shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show you my power, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Really long section of verses, and after you know reading these verses and contemplating them, I have just come to realize that Chris hates me because he gave me these verses to talk about today. <laughs> they are no by. Uh, by no means easy, uh, to use a, a, a phrase of Paul's. Um, by no means are they easy, but um, I think in the context of everything that's that's going on in, in Romans, it actually makes sense. I think I've heard chapter 9. Um, I'm trying to think of who it was now. It may have been a, a commentary by Witherington. Uh, he makes a statement that reading Romans chapter 9 is like riding a bike. If you don't have in... Um, in perspective, in the foreview, that uh, the rest of Romans, uh, the chapters one through eight, as well as you know ten through sixteen, uh, chapter nine is not going to make a lot of sense. You're going to lose your your balance and fall off the bike. Um, so, what we have to do in order to stay balanced, in order to understand what Paul is talking about here in these verses, is keep everything else that has been talked about in the book of Romans in view. And when you do that, when you've got the whole message together, uh, reading chapter 9 isn't that tough. Uh, there are some things that I guess we still have to look at, and especially here he's going to make you know pretty two strong uh, citations of Old Testament Scripture, so we'll have to look at those. But other than that, I think this is actually a fairly straightforward set of verses, at least by the way that I reckon them in, in what I've been reading and trying to figure out on my own. So this is all still a process for me, uh, especially when it comes to what's being talked about here in chapters 9 through 11 and uh, election and predestination and Israel and a lot of big topics here. So let's get into it a little bit. Um, he's bringing up in verse 14, you know, he says, what shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? Because if you remember um, yesterday uh, when Chris went through talking about Jacob and Esau and and how these aren't individuals being spoken about, but they're actually uh, corporate Israel. You know, it's it's God has chosen Israel, and it's within Israel 
that uh, salvation is, uh, and taking that in New Testament terms, uh, this election in Jesus Christ. And, and we can get that pretty clearly from if we just remember uh, what Paul has spoken about in Romans chapter 8, uh, talking about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, that That's similar language being used here. So that's what Paul's initially saying here in verse 14. Is there any injustice, this idea of election? Uh, and Paul's saying, by no means. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. So it has nothing to do with human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So God has chosen to have mercy with those who are in Christ Jesus. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do anything related to faith, grace, salvation, mercy. It was his choice to do so. There was nothing no one could have done to, to make him do these things. He did it because he's a merciful, all-powerful God. And so this is this is what he's chosen to do. So he's going to give an example of this. He says, um, "For Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show you, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth." Uh, this passage from Pharaoh really goes from you know it's Exodus four all the way through chapter fourteen, where you have the occurrence of the word hardened used twenty times. And then only like two or three times throughout the rest of Old Testament literature. So it's really crazy that that apparently here in these these section of verses in Exodus, again, that's Exodus chapter 4 through chapter 14, uh, there is this idea of hardening and what does heart hardening look like. Uh, Victor Hamilton has a, a commentary that I've really enjoyed reading through on the book of Exodus. And um, he has this really good excursus on... Uh, heart hardening, and he makes some really good points, and I, I would kind of like to, to bring them out to you. Um, not only is there a pretty even breakdown on the verb tenses of the word hardened, but it's evenly broken up between Yahweh doing the hardening as well as Pharaoh doing the hardening. Uh, another interesting thing that he notes is that even though God promises Moses that he will harden Pharaoh's heart, it's not until after the sixth plague that God actually hardens Pharaoh's heart. Up to that point, Pharaoh has just continually not released the people of Israel. And, and, and it hasn't used heart-hardening language up to that point. Uh, God is the first one to do the hardening, but Pharaoh has still been making evil, uh, I don't know if we can even use the word disobedient, but, but choices that are against God's will. That's all Pharaoh up to that point. Um, I think another good point that, that he brings out is uh, some of the texts that highlight Pharaoh's own hardening state that Pharaoh does so only after he asks for Moses to pray to Moses' God to take the plague away. Moses prays, God says yes, the plague vanishes, then Pharaoh hardens his heart. So it's Pharaoh asks for what he wants, he gets it, and then he still doesn't do what he says he was going to do. He hardens his heart keeps the Israelites uh, as slaves, and, and they move on to the next plague. That's kind of the same uh, repetitive uh, narrative that plays out here. So he has like uh, multiple points. I think it's 12 or 13 points in his commentary of this you know, doctrine, if we want to call it, of the hardening of the heart and what that looks like. He doesn't actually take the position of electionism or volunteerism. Uh, he... he states pretty clearly he's not going to 
be the judge on that, but what he lays out uh, doesn't necessarily make strong points for um, electionism as as most maybe um, uh, Calvinists might define electionism. And, and so he has some pretty interesting points. So if you get the chance, um, you can look up his commentary and, and what he has said on it. But pretty much what we get from here is uh, another point that should be added is even in this verse 17 in Romans, uh, Paul is not making a comment on the, the salvation status of Pharaoh. It's not that because God hardens Pharaoh's heart that all of a sudden Pharaoh is now damned. It simply shows that God used Pharaoh at this specific point in salvation history to show God's power. So even after the sixth plague, we do get God hardening the heart of Pharaoh, I believe it's eight times, uh, and all of those are to cause another plague to come about, which is which will be plagues 8, 9, and 10. He hardens Pharaoh's heart in order for those things to happen in order for Pharaoh to then pursue the Israelites across the Red Sea. And it's all for what purpose? Is to show God's power, show his glory. Because that's going to be the one main event that the Israelites always point back to and reference throughout the rest of their history. I mean, especially in the book of Joshua, Judges it's mentioned, First uh, and Second Samuel it's mentioned. I mean, it's mentioned all the way through. When, when the Israelites then go on to speak of their God and how he is predictable, how he is... Um, he, he's someone you can trust in. They point back to the exodus of what God did there. So there was a real salvific um, purpose in what God did with Pharaoh. In verse 18, he says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. But what should also be pointed out is he's still not speaking in individual terms. He is still considering, in, in light of what earlier chapter 9 is talking about uh, groups of people, those who are within the elect and those with whom he is not. He's in a sense saying he has mercy on whomever he wills, i.e. those who are elected, i.e. those who are in Christ Jesus, and he hardens whomever he wills, i.e. those who are not elected, i.e. those who are not in Christ Jesus. hope that makes sense. And so in verse 19, uh, through the rest of our little section, he uh, it's it's almost funny. He's kind of, Paul can be fairly comedic at times, and this is one of those kind of funny moments if you sit and think about it. Uh, he says, who, who can find fault? Who can resist God's will? You know, that's probably the things you're going to ask me. Uh, but I'm saying to you, why do you, why do you think you can answer back to God? Why do you think what is molded can say back to its molder, hey, why have you made me like this? And that's kind of where the humor is. You know, you can imagine, you know, Paul is uh, trying to illustrate a, a potter molding clay, and all of a sudden the, the piece of clay speaks up and says, hey, man, hey, you're doing this wrong. Here, you, you need to mold me this way to make it really good. You know, that's what we often try to do to God. We will look up at God and say, whoa, you're not doing this right. Listen, follow my plan, and and it'll work out okay. Uh, that's often the mindset we have when it comes to the things of God. I think what we really lack sometimes is a high view of God. If we truly see him as all-powerful and all-knowing, we fully go along with whatever he tells us he's doing. We don't say, no, I've got a better plan for it, or that doesn't quite fit in with the way I view you. We take God at his word. We understand that his 
knowing is far above our knowing. His wisdom is far above our wisdom. He then goes on to kind of reference Jeremiah 18 in verses 19 through, uh, in verses 21 through 23, and and that section of verses is often used by um, people who who would back um, whether predestination, electionism, however you want to think about it or term it. Uh, this is a, a section of verses that's often referred to because it is this, you know, God is the potter and we are the clay. He can do what he wants. Um, what's interesting to note there is what the following verses talk about, Verse starting in verse 7. This is right after the analogy of the potter and the clay. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning what I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Uh, I, I mention those verses to just show that there's no mystery to election. There is no mysterious plot that God has uh, behind the words here in Romans 9. Uh, we're not unsure of who is saved and who is not, of who is elected and who is not. There is clearly an elected people, those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you are in Christ Jesus, there's no fear. God has chosen to have mercy on whomever he wills. And who he has willed are those who are elected, are those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, maybe one last thing to point out is something that a lot of people will naturally try to debate over and, and, uh, and complicate, I guess, is in verse uh, 19, it says, who can resist his will, um, who can find fault, he has mercy, and he has worse mercy, going back to verse 18, is the idea of double predestination. And I encourage you to look into that sometime because it, it fits right along with um, I would say the more stringent groups of, of Calvinism that would say that it's not just God determines who's going to be saved, but God determines who is going to be uh, damned as well. So Pharaoh, from this section of verses, would fall into that. Pharaoh was one who was raised up, not simply for the purposes of salvific history, but to uh, then eternally be damned. And he really didn't have a say in it because God is the one who hardened his heart. Um, that kind of goes against a lot of free will theology, uh, especially open theists who are the you know the extreme of free will theology. Um, but it kind of for me goes against what's happening here in Romans chapter nine, um, especially with the understanding that we're talking about corporate Israel. We're talking about those who are the elected, uh, not talking about individual salvation. But again, uh, don't have time for that today. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a special podcast on that. Uh, I think me and Chris had kind of thrown around that idea a little bit. But I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has kind of opened up maybe some questions for you to further dig into. I know I probably didn't settle everything, but um, again, this is Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 23. I encourage you to study it further and, and find God's truth in this and what it means for you as being a saved individual who's in Jesus Christ. I hope you have a good day. hope you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor. Peace and love.